0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 10, and um, we're back there. Uh, a lot of you maybe know this about me or don't know this about me, but you will know about it, know it about me now. Um, I used to be in sales, and I remember, uh, this is before I came to work in pastor, and no, I don't go around and go, now I sell Jesus. No, I don't do that. Um, but um, I used to be in sales, and I remember I went from from one company to another company doing totally different um, things, and I I knew... Absolutely nothing about what I was selling. Like I was it was really bad. And the the, the guy kind of took a risk on me and thought, okay, well, he did well in this environment. I think he'll do well here. And and so I spent some time there. And I remember my boss sitting me down like, I don't know, a week later. This is not great management skills, but he sits me down afterwards, like, wow, Bren. He was listening to apparently one of my sales pitches with a couple clients, and he's like, Wow, Bren, that was horrific. Like, that was, that, was, <laughs> that was, like, terrible. There was, like, I can't, that was probably one of the worst things I've ever heard. And then he went on to say things like, no one's dumber. No, I'm just kidding. No, he didn't say that. But he really basically laid into, like, that was the worst sales pitch I've ever heard. I can't believe that worked. I can't believe that that actually even made sense or that they actually bought something from you. Like, that's, that was really not motivating, just so you guys know, for managers. Like, don't do that. It was pretty, um, I was pretty beat up. But having said that. I don't think in all my years of sales, I've ever had a sales pitch um, that was as poor as the one that Jesus does in this message. Now, hear me out on that before we get there. Like, whoa, blasphemy. Jesus um, was terrible at sales, actually. He just, just wasn't, like, in all the training I had and everything, like, he didn't really follow any of the protocol to what you would do in sales. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and we'll talk a little bit about this now. Building up into this section, if you remember, it's been a while, but we're we're here. This is a today is going to be a two-part message. We're going to kind of talk about the difficult part of what Jesus is is sharing today. And the next week we have Serve Sunday, so the week after that we'll hit kind of the promise out of that. So some of you are like, "Oh, I knew I should have slept in on Labor Day. Should have gone camping." This is this is not an easy message. This is not something that you're going to go, "Oh, great! I'm so glad I heard that." My hope is is that that you hear this and it actually takes takes root in your heart, and we see something different um, in you, not for, for your glory, but for God's. So Jesus has been doing these amazing miracles and all this awesome stuff, and then he goes out on this kind of this rampage of healing, and he gets this moment of compassion where he's like, oh, there are s- the, the need is so great. The harvest is so huge, and he says, we need to pray earnestly for the laborers. And he says, disciples, pray earnestly. And then he kind of turns his attention to his 12 disciples, and if you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about this, he basically calls them and he, he says, and it gave them all authority, right? And he said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna heal every disease and every affliction. You're going to cast out demons and unclean spirits, and you're going to have this authority. And, and the disciples are going, yeah, tell me more about that, Jesus. This is awesome. And I, I can't help but think, like, if I'm Peter or one of those guys there, they're sitting there going, wait, wait, we're going to have power? Are you Are giving us authority? I'm going to clean the lepers. We're going to cast out demons. They're going to run. And they're just kind of sitting there going, well, come on. Like, Peter's out of his seat. Like, come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. And so they're all excited about what's going to happen. And then Jesus does this, this interesting turn. And we're going to be reading through 16 through 42. But I'm going to chop it up. We're only doing some of it today and the rest of it in two weeks. And basically, he begins it with behold. So he's told them all this good stuff. Like, look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to proclaim the news. And you're going you're gonna to wipe the dust from your sandals That they don't listen. And it's going to be amazing. And the disciples are like, I'm in, let's do it. And then this is where Jesus um, didn't do the best sales pitch. So then he goes, okay, behold, so pay close attention. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And down in verse 21... Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father with his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecuted you in one town, flee to the next, for I truly say, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. And the servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Bilzebel, or Bilzebub, depending upon which version you have, how much more will they malign those of his household? And then further down in verse thirty-four, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now that one's not too hard to believe, right? Okay? And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so here's Jesus with this this amazing sales pitch, right? Like he's like, you're going to, cast out demons, you're going to heal everything, and, and Peter and everyone's like, yeah, let's go, like, let's do it now, let's go, and then he's like, "Well, wait, hang on now, you, you lost me here, Jesus, what's this whole sheep and wolves thing, and this is a fairly offensive statement, because sheep, in, in essence, are really dumb, uh, they, they're so dumb, actually, that shepherds actually have to help them not eat toxic weeds, because they'll just eat anything, mm, this is really good, like, eat it and, and die that way, and so they need a, an immense amount of care, in fact, the only defense mechanism the sheep have is to run, and they are really slow. So there's really no hope for a sheep. And we know that, and Jesus has already talked about it. Look, there will be wolves, and we see in all the other New Testament books, wolves that will come in to the flock and try and take. That's a very common thing. But Jesus says here, he says, no, I'm going to send you out as sheep amidst wolves. I'm going to send you out in the wolves. Like, you're not, you're not waiting here and, and protected by the fact that you're hoping someone next to you is slower than you. Like, I'm going to send you out, and you've got to go into the wolves, and, and there you go. Have fun. And then he tells them to be wise as serpents and, and, and innocent as doves. Serpents, or serpents and, and snakes in Egyptian hieroglyphics at this time were, were considered wise and cunning and, and they, they were um, shrewd in, in the way that they, they dealt. And so it meant to be, be wise, in a, a, but yet at the same time, innocent. And I think that's really, really interesting because, because a lot of us would assume wisdom is avoiding things or wisdom is aligning ourselves in a way that, that kind of makes us right but a lot of times we sacrifice innocence for wisdom. We sacrifice being innocent before God for us looking or seeming wise, which is usually arrogance or pride. And so he says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves or midst wolves, and you're gonna be in the wolves and have fun, but be wise now, but also be innocent. And so if I'm those disciples sitting there, I'm kind of th- rethinking this whole thing all over again. Oh man, Jesus has done some pretty cool stuff. But wait, sheep, sheep amidst wolves? That doesn't, like, I don't, I don't what, do, what do we do? And then he goes on. And he says, look, you're going to be flogged. You're going to be beaten. And th- that was just, you know, flogged is, isn't like a, um, a slap on the wrist. It was a very, very painful thing. And what's intriguing about this is Jesus is kind of, in a way, prophesying. He says, you're going to be taken before, before governors and kings, which is basically saying the message that I'm giving you is a big enough deal that it's going to uh, bring the awareness of the kings and the governors of this time. This message is a big enough deal that you're going to be seen and noticed by the high up powers. And they're not going to understand this, and they're going to flog you, and they're going to beat you, and they're going to put you in front of courts, and brothers will will turn on their fathers. Again, I, I, I really struggle with this text because my assumption is most of us in this room haven't really been sold on this gospel. Most of us believe when it comes to Jesus, we've been told like, oh, you know, life will be better. And we get this kind of fluffy bunnies, you know, cotton candy, like happy, happy feeling about following Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, there's peace in following Jesus. But, but most of us in this room, at one point or another, whether we were young or old, has been this, oh, let's just accept Jesus and life will be better. And, and you know how I, I know that? This is, this is going to come across harsh. I said this earlier because I was trying to be hip and it totally failed, but it's the sorry, not sorry thing that people hashtag. I don't even know what that means, but, but that's what I'm saying to you right now, okay? I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. The, the point is this, is that you know how you know you've been sold a, a false, tainted gospel? Is because when life gets hard for you, the first thing you do is run from God. I'm Here to say that. Like the, when, when things get difficult, like, well, ah, this isn't what I signed up for. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I thought when I followed Jesus, life got easier, and, and I would have all these other things. Jesus was pretty clear here. I don't see much easy things here. But a lot of you have believed the gospel message is something that just makes you feel better about yourself and has no actual ramifications, no result or no life change that happens in this world. It's just some future distance insurance that you have when you go to heaven. And so we have this, we have this the gospel is just, is just something easy. And so when life gets hard, when it's difficult, and you feel like the walls are surrounding in you, the first thing you do, and it's okay to question God, but the first thing instead of questioning is you turn your back from God. Like, ah, oh, you know what? Forget it. Or let's let's change this. Let's make this heart a little bit different. You're in a relationship, right? And you you aren't married yet, and you're like, Oh, it's just so hard to be pure. So the first thing you do is is you say, Oh, well, it's too hard. It's too hard to, to not be drunk at this party, to not go to this party, so I'm just going to give in. And so, even our switching, even our running from the gospel, isn't even in the fact of persecution. I mean, let's be honest. This may be offensive. Our Christian walk in America is not that hard. In fact, it Jordan and I joked about, hey, today we should just not put chairs out and make everyone sit on the floor so they could have a little bit more uncomfort. And I was like, no, it's probably better to leave the chairs out because that's just as uncomfortable, right? Like, we're going to make you guys uncomfortable so that you can see the fact that the gospel is difficult. But then I realized that that really has nothing to do with the gospel either. Yours and my comfort is never really the point. And it's not that this is some message where we're supposed to run into to martyrdom and like, ah, oh, I'm going to beat myself and be a whole, like hate life and everything. Because he tells us even, literally, look, you're going to have to flee some situations. You're going to have to run. So it's not just for the sake of being hard that we run into being hard. But Jesus has this message. He says they're going to beat you and they're going to present you before kings and governors. There's this unique promise in there. It says when they're, when they're in there, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, so we'll leave you hanging on that. But there's a unique promise where he says, but don't worry, I will speak for you. But see, here's the problem, is if we run to that promise, I think we forget the fact that he's already promised the fact that life is going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. In fact, he comes, and I think even, you know, at this point where he's saying, look, I did not, do not think I came to bring peace to the earth, but I have, I have come to, but with a sword. And that to me, like, I think every single Jew at that point is like, yeah, that's what we're talking about, let's, let's crush Rome. Let's do it. Let's bring the sword. And then he goes, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with Rome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut between households. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a brother and a sister against each other, a father and a mother. I'm gonna, I'm, there's going to be a cutting. And what it is, is, it's not, it's not his desire to destroy families. It's his recognition that the gospel, the message itself, will divide. They will divide. There's not this I'm in sort of sometimes and in and, and out. It's like you're in or you're out. The gospel is hard. It says, "Look, a disciple disciple isn't above his teacher." And this is—I just want to make this really clear for you. Those of you that are sitting in the room, and whether you call yourself a Christian or he's your homeboy or whatever, whatever lingo you use to define yourself as a follower of Jesus, that means that this is talking to you. You're a disciple. Of Jesus. So this, this charge, this first missionaries that Jesus is kind of sending out and saying, go and do this, he's, he's passed this charge on to you too. And so he's saying, look, if they called, and the term, this, essentially if they called me Beelzebub, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, I have a hard time saying that one. Either way, essentially it's a term used to re- regard Satan. Like, look, if they already said that that's who I am, why wouldn't they malign all those that follow me? And this is what hit me so hard when I was studying this. He says, look, a a servant is not above his master. And I think the problem is, is that when you and I run to comfort, we're basically saying that we're better than Jesus. We deserve more than him. We're entitled, followers of Jesus, following a tainted gospel. And then he ends it with, which is just, as if he wasn't cutting enough at these disciples. As if it wasn't like, okay, wait a second. You, you, you mean that I'm going to get beaten for this message? Like, I have the, the power to, to heal, but somehow I'm going to get beaten at the same time? Why can't I just, like, stop that? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, if I have the power to do that, can I just, like, make them unhealthy so they can't beat me? Like, how does that work? Like, and, and he ends it with, look, you, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy. Of me. And that is a huge statement. Huge. There was an uprising just before Jesus' time, a, a battle that, that kind of went at trying to free Israel from Rome. There's plenty of those, there's lots of them. And it was a smaller kind of rebel group, and they tried to do it. And essentially, what happened is that, is that history tells us that, that 2,000 Jews were crucified on a cross, and they were set on the, on the roads, on the main roadways, so that everyone could walk by and see what they had done. So there was kind of a warning, like, don't you do this. Being hung on a cross is a horrible way to die. That is a, that is a terrible thing. And every single first century Jew, when it said, take up your cross, they went, wait a second, I, I, I know what that means. Like, that literally means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack this thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on it and die. And he tells me to do that daily. And as you you start, like, there are plenty of our brothers and sisters right now across the world that are literally dying for the sake of Christ today. And it breaks our heart, and that is absolutely true. And I I believe that that is 100% applicable to that. But I also think that Jesus was saying something a little bit different here. Not just that we're willing to die for the gospel, but that we're actually willing to live for the gospel. It's one thing to say I could die, and again, that's hard, and, and we as Americans are totally like spoiled in the fact, and unfortunately, probably, it, it's what makes us a little bit lazy in following Jesus, that we probably won't face that. Many brothers and sisters are facing that daily. I think what he's saying here is, is, is interesting, because he ends it, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And essentially, what he's saying here isn't, look, you need to be willing to die for me, although... We know that. It says, endure to the end. We, we, we get that, okay? But essentially what he's saying is, look, you stop living for the things of this world. You, you stop living. So you, you may find life in a relationship. That's not it. You may find life in what you're doing in school or what you're doing for a vocation. You may find life in, in children. You may find all those things. And look, there's, there's benefits and beauty to all of that. But he's saying, if you don't lose that for my sake, if any of that is over me, you have not received the right gospel. He's saying, look, you've got to be willing to die to yourself daily to be worthy of me. This is a daily surrender of all aspects. All aspects. Now, this is the part where some of you aren't going to like this. My assumption is is that every single one of us, because I do too, we all struggle to let go of something. And a lot of times we'll mask it by a healthy thing. Like, I really want my children to love Jesus and I I want to be a great dad. But a lot of times I can turn that into an idol ship. And me being known as a great dad has more to do with what you think of me as a dad than really actually being a dad to my children. And so I took a very good thing and I elevated it above him. I made me being a good dad more important than being a follower or disciple of Jesus. Same thing with with marriage. You do it in your spouse. Like, look, God calls us very specifically. Jesus teaches very specifically how to engage with marriage and what it looks like, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's an incredible union. But it is not to be elevated above the gospel. It It is not to take place over that. And here's the problem is most of us, I'm assuming most of us at least, we use these good things as excuses to not live for the gospel. We use good things to go, well, you know, I, you know, I really want to be a, a good husband, so I'm just going to stay home and not serve that person today. And let me, let me say it this way. Some of you need to do that, okay? Like you need to stay home with your wife and, and, and pursue her a little bit more. But most of us, let's be honest, if we're home, we'd probably be watching TV or eating something. That's what I do at least. Some of you, it's in finances, know it's a hard topic to talk about in church right it's in dollar bills you're in college right now expecting to make a certain amount of money and you're living an unfaithful life with the amount of money you have right now and so when you have more money you think oh i'll be faithful then no that's not how it works some of you you're holding on to dollars and i'm not talking like just give oh give money to the church no i'm saying you are you are using those dollars as if they're yours and they're not yours You're holding on to those. You've elevated money above the gospel, and you've made it more about what you do or don't make, and that's what you put all your energy and your time, and you mask it behind, I want to provide. Again, provision is good, but you hide the gospel in it. You say, I just need to provide, and so I'm going to work hard, and you work yourself into the ground at the cost of every other relationship around you, and money has become above the gospel. So I mean, it's it's time. Look, let's, let's be honest, and Again, these are, these are hard topics for a pastor to say because you guys are like, oh, man. If this is your church and you come here and this is awesome and, and you love Rev and whatever great you see the gospel being forwarded here, but you come, you show up, you sit down, you eat food, and you leave, you've believed in some tainted gospel. We're called to serve one another. So, look, I get there's a season for, for healing and there's a season for the, But if you're like, I don't need to do anything to serve anyone, man, you've, you've missed it. You've missed it. And I think we can swing the pendulum really far and be like, it's all about what we do for Christ. No, it's it's who we are in Christ. But my point is this, is that some of you are using, well, it's just hard. I work all week long. So it's a little difficult to give a little extra hour here or there. Again, Jesus didn't do the bait and switch. you guys know the bait and switch in sales? So you like kind of t- tie them in with something small and then you're like, oh, we don't have that anymore, but let me show you this. It's not like Jesus kind of brought you in and said, hey, it's going to be so awesome and this is going to be amazing. And oh, by the way, you've got to die to yourself. It's not like he said that. He says it right in the front. He's like, look, you're going to have to die to yourself daily if you really want to follow me. Like, this is, this is what it's going to take. That means that there is nothing in this world that is elevated or above me. If you find life in anything, you've lost it. You're missing the mark. If you lose your life in this world, you've found life. And I love what Jesus says. In other, we, we know he says that life, and not just life, but life abundantly. So it's, what is it for you? When it, when it comes to the cross and us dying to ourselves, what are you holding on to? Maybe it's relationships. Some of you are are single college students, a lot of you are single college students, you're like, "Man, I just want to be married." Believe me, marriage is awesome. It's really hard. Okay? Like <laughs> it's really hard. And and God is a loving father, and if it's a desire of your heart to be married, then you know what? Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but, but, but you've placed that relationship higher than your relationship with Christ. Maybe some of you, you're using, you're using dissension or bitterness or anger as an excuse. You're trying to find scripture that lines up your thinking with it being okay to be bitter at someone. There's not one. Just, just so you know and you're using this bitterness and you're saying I don't you know I know what Jesus says I know what the gospel says but I do not like that person therefore I can hate them because they're different or because I don't like the way they do this or because they hurt me and you're justifying sin that's a tainted messed up gospel and all of Jesus's rant about what it means to be a, on mission with them he gives us a few things in here he says have no fear Tells us that he'll speak for us. He talks about these rewards. And and I'd love to save you and say that's where we're at. You guys can obviously read this if you have a Bible. But we'll be there in two weeks. But I kind of want you to sit on the fact that, that maybe following Jesus is meant to be a little bit harder than maybe you signed up for. We see in Luke, Jesus tells them, like, count the cost to following me, it's not easy. So what is it for you? What are you struggling to let go of? Jesus didn't sell you something fossil. In fact, this is, here's the thing. This is what I love about it. Jesus never really sold anything. He wasn't really intentionally selling anything. In fact, it's not our job to sell Jesus. It's not our job to like try and let's, let's smooth the road out as much as possible so that they can see who Jesus is. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's benefit to being evangel- evangelical and doing all these things and, and loving people and serving them and doing that. But, but it's Jesus that opens the heart of these people. It's God that does the work. It's not, it's not like I need to get you to a spot to believe that, oh, trust me, it's, it's not as bad as it seems. Like, it, there's, it's better. Like, it's better. And I, we want to sell it as if it's better. And he's saying, look, Jesus didn't at one point in your go, well, now I know I said all this, but... But hey, it's okay guys, I'll, I'll, there will be easier roads ahead. He never says that. He says take the narrow road, the hard road, the rough road. Wide road, is, it leads to destruction. It's not, we, don't, we don't have to sell Jesus. I don't have to get up there and, and tell everyone about how awesome Jesus is and make him look differently. Because he's not shaken by my view of him. But the flip side is I don't get to stand up and be a jerk. Some of you are like, yes, I can be a jerk finally and tell people about it. No, that's not how it works. That's not innocent. It is our job to let the gospel saturate us in a way that we die to every aspect of ourselves. We die to everything. That means that nothing is above Christ. Nothing. And then we just love and serve. And the best part is, is that although we can love someone like crazy, it doesn't change the promise that life will be hard. So, so what is it for you? My assumption is some of you in here have been coming to church for a long time. You had some emotional connection or you came to Christ at a young age or you've just been kind of in and around church and it's been really easy. I mean, life has been really easy. Maybe you're like, well, wait, should it be harder and do I need to make things harder? Well, maybe in some ways or maybe not. This isn't some like, oh, chase out the trouble and, you know, go play in traffic and see what happens. Like, no, that's not what we're, we're, we're saying here. But my assumption is that the more, majority or more of you, your life has been easy because you've been chasing easy. Your life has been easy because you're afraid of letting the gospel saturate all aspects of it. Your life has been easy because you've used excuses which are really fear. For surrendering all aspects to Christ. In fact, when it comes to serving someone, you're like, oh, I, you know, I want to, but I need to be a good student, so I'm going to go ahead and do some more homework. Come on. I mean, you can do homework all the time, right? Like, there's, there's a lot, you, you give up on homework for a lot of other reasons. I mean, this is just being honest, right? Netflix is the ruiner of all, No. some of you are, are using your family like well we're just trying to honor our family time so we don't want to we don't want to overwhelm or serve i think the best thing we can show our children is serving others i want my kids to not despise serving someone they're a long ways from that just so you know i'm not an amazing parent bearing the name of christ means you will be persecuted our persecution is not going to feel like the persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. I get that. But some of us, you know what's sad? We won't, even, we won't even stomach the persecution of a relationship being let go because we won't go spot physically with them. We have brothers and sisters that are having to be persecuted for life. Some of us, we won't even stomach the persecution that may come from not being cool enough because we didn't go drink enough with them. We These silly little things that we may get persecuted for. And we run from it. So this begs the question, are you living for Christ or not? He uses the sword analogy, and I love the sword. And then we're going to end we're gonna we're going to sing some music, worship in a second. But I love that he uses the sword because essentially a sword cuts, right? Like there's not, like if anyone doesn't get that, it's a really dull sword that you've played with your whole life. But a sword cuts And and it it lays out basically two halves. And it's not like you can sit on the tip of the sword all day long and dance on it. Like, you're either on this side or that side. And what Jesus is saying essentially is, look, following me is here, and here's what you can expect. Here's what's going to happen. And if it's better than that or things aren't as hard, great. But either way, your life is still to be dead in this world and alive in me. Because the other side is, look, you you can... Say you love me. You can say you follow me all you want until you're blue in the face. But if your life isn't there, let me me read his words again. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now my assumption is some of you in here are maybe going to feel a little bit guilty or shameful. I want to just be really clear. God is not a God of guilt or shame. Does not shame you into falling forward? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, I do believe that His Spirit convicts us. And so some of you right now, you're getting pretty hard and convicted. Now, the enemy would love to whisper and say, you're not worthy, you can't do anything. That's a lie. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you, no matter what you've messed up, no matter how far you've been off. But the Holy Spirit, He's, he's stirring in you. He's saying, look, let go of this. And in you, there's fear, but if I let go of this, what will happen to here? And if I do this, what will happen? And everything will come unraveling. Look, he's a good God. He's not out of control, no matter how much chaos is in your life. Look, if you got sat down and said, okay, in the next week, you're going to get flogged. You're going to get your, your whole family is going to just go in disarray. And, um, oh, by the way, you're going to have to die to yourself. And you're going to have to speak in front of governors and kings. Like, if that was your week... I, I would be willing to bet you go, okay, it's a little bit harder than I was expecting. But that's not, that's not the case for us. Like, you're not getting flogged. A lot of times you're not even really speaking up because you're afraid at work of what your coworkers might think of you. And you're masking it behind, I will just show them Christ, but I'll never say anything about it. And look, there's a time for that. I get that. But it's not like just loving someone intuitively. They're going to go, wow, Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. with perfect life and everything was great. I can't believe it. Let's go to Greece. Maybe, maybe I can't. I guess God could do it. But my point is this, is that you guys, it's meant to be hard. If we could just start over, go back to when you first started following Christ. I was looking at my, my youngest daughter, Priscilla, this last week, and she was just sitting there smiling at me on the table, on the changing table. And I realized, I looked at her, I was like, she doesn't really have any regrets yet. Like, it's not like she regrets, like, oh, I wish I would have pooped out more. Or, you know, or, oh, I you know, I wish I would have ate more. Because if she just wants to eat more, she'll eat more, right? Like, there's not any regrets. And when I, start, I started thinking about like regrets in my life, thinking, okay, there were so many instances where I was in, in relationship or close contact with people and I had an opportunity to share the gospel. I had an opportunity to be the salt or the light of Christ in their life and I missed it. I didn't do it. And you know why? Almost all of it was laziness or fear. Almost all of it was that. I was lazy eh, I'll do it another time. Or I was afraid of what they may think about me. And here's, here's the thing. It's not like God says, well, Brent, I tried with you. Sorry, you're done. Like his grace is sufficient. He will still give me plenty of opportunities. But the same is for you. See, right now you guys are living a life either cut for the gospel or not. There's not a middle ground. And if you want to know, again, if you feel like the gospel is, 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 has reached the core of your heart, when life gets hard, do you run to Christ or away from him? That's a pretty good tell as to whether or not you understand the gospel. When you hear about, like, oh, hey, we need to pick up some of these chairs today, and you go ask someone else to do it. You're basically saying that your life is more important than others. It's harsh, I know. You may have a very good reason to do it, and you don't have to, I don't need 30 excuses on why you're not helping tear down today, guys. Don't do that, please. But the point is this is that the gospel is meant to be hard. Life is hard. And we continually use small and little things in our lives to point to the gospel or not. So in relationships, in alcohol, in money, in serving, all those things point to the fact of what we truly believe about this gospel or not. Not any, any one of themselves does not define who you are in Christ. That is defined and established in what He did for you on the cross. But because of that, we can now live for Him. So as we, the band's going to come up, we're going we're to worship I wanted to do, I challenged the first service this way. I, I think a lot of times we can hear this and you can kind of fit in a million different schools of thought. Like, oh man, that was a poor delivery or he's just being a jerk or yeah, I need to, I need to do more. Or, we can kind of run to a million different areas of whatever God's doing in your hearts right now. I just, I just want to push on you. If you're feeling like convicted about something, there's like, and I used, I used four examples. Money, serving, and relationships, and I can't remember the fourth one right now. Right, so if I use those examples that's what you're feeling, like, okay, maybe God's doing that, but there's probably something else too. And maybe you're feeling convicted by it. And my, my encouragement, my challenge to you would be this, is that you wouldn't just run from it. That you wouldn't just go, oh, you know what, I'll deal with that next week or when I graduate or when I'm married or when the kids are older, when, when the season of life is a little bit slower. That you would just press into it, and I mean press hard. And not just, not just let yourself go, I'm okay with kind of, sort of loving God. But like, no, I, he, he loved me so much that I am now about living my life for his love and the love of others. Jeez, I, wish, I wish Jesus would have said something different when it comes to dying to yourself. I really do. But Jesus, again, he wasn't about selling himself. He didn't need to sell what he was doing. He already knew what he was doing. He knew the value in it, he knew what it meant, and he knew what it meant for every single one of us. He knew what it meant for you and your life. In fact, Ephesians tells us that he created you for the good works that you can do now through him. So this isn't, your life is not some shock or or like a mess up. And you may have, maybe if you spent so much time right now, you're sitting here going, I spent so much time selfishly living. Well, good news is God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient. He says, okay, I'll take you right now where you're at and I'll make you more like my son Jesus Christ." every day until you die some of you again I'm gonna like you guys you've been burned hurt or you have a big laundry list of excuses on why not to fully surrender to Jesus in your life and when I say fully I mean you've been maybe you've been claiming Jesus oh yeah I'm a follower of Jesus but I just don't like the church you know Jesus was in love with the church I mean in love and I'm not talking Rev 22 I'm talking Big C Church his church get Involved. Get plugged in. Start serving one another. Let the vulnerability and the messiness that comes from rubbing shoulders with someone else actually sanctify you and make you more like Christ. So, I mean, you're using this laundry list of excuses of, I don't need to be financially savvy because I only make a few hundred bucks a month. Well, half the world lives on less than that. A day, a month, or whatever it is. The statistics are ridiculous. Stop giving excuses to not live for the gospel. So we're going to worship and we're going to sing a song. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. We do this every every time. See, people will stand up. We hear something. You're like, man, maybe God's stirring in your heart right now. And you're like, ah, I just I can't handle it. So we start singing. And you're like, oh, great, it's loud. I don't have to think about it. I'm going to challenge you that that you would do one of two things. Let's just let the sword fall here, okay? That you would either stand up and worship, not just with your mouth or your mind, but with all of who you are. And not worship because you're trying to be on pitch or, oh, wow, I like the violin or or Maybe I would have done that song differently, but just truly worship out of your heart, a heart that has been changed and transformed by the work of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And if you're not there, that's okay, but don't pretend. Don't just sing words to just, you're just training yourself that you can say these words and not really mean them. To get up and sing about how God is an everlasting God and and not really believing it or not really worshiping it, it's kind of a thing called hypocrisy. And so I would just challenge you to stand up. And if you came with someone, this isn't the time, like, if you're singing, to be like, they're not singing. What's wrong? Like, let like let the moment happen, okay? Some of you are like, I don't even like emotions and, and worship. But it's great. Worship isn't just music. Worship is every aspect of our life. Jesus, in fact, said daily in all aspects. That's what dying to yourself is, is, is worshiping the Lord. So would you just... When I leave, I'm going to pray. When I get done, would you stand up and worship? I mean, with absolutely everything. Like, no one else is in the room. Who cares if you're off key? Like, worship the God who created you, who knows you. Worship the God in the way that you're saying, basically the declaration. I'm done pretending. I'm done with excuses, God, and I will follow you with all my heart. Maybe it's just that day for that declaration. Maybe some of you, you're not there. And you're just stern inside, and you can't shake a few things. You don't know why, and you're just in turmoil. Then just sit and be quiet. Let the worship of the believers around you just saturate your heart let his spirit move to those words if you're somewhere in between then just be in between it doesn't matter I'm just asking and I'm pleading with you guys and I think Jesus is pushing to it and he gives us the promise and we'll get there in a couple weeks is that following him it it has purpose and that purpose is, is to be on mission to be his missionary to show this world the love that you've been shown in him to live it out that way. And that means that we're going to have to let go of a lot of expectations and a lot of things that make our life comfortable, not just so we can say, sweet, I'm uncomfortable, but so we can say, sweet, I'm fully surrendered to the Lord and the King of my heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I know that, that every single person in this room um, is here for a reason, and I know that your spirit is alive, and so I pray that he would just overwhelm each of our hearts. I pray that, that whatever we're holding on to, whether it's bitterness or relational or finances or or, um, or just the fact that we're afraid, we're afraid to fully follow you, we're afraid of what someone may think about us, we're using excuses. God, I pray that you would just not even rip from us, but that we would, you, would, you would bring our hearts to a spot where we would just lay it down and recognize that it is not worth keeping. God, I pray whatever aspect in our life that needs to be lost so that we can live for you daily, I pray it would be done so today, God. I pray that we would make a, a declaration, a stand, and your spirit would move in a mighty way in each person's heart. God, for those that continually come in a close proximity but just can't really give you their life, God, I pray that you would remind them of who you are, that your overwhelming love would saturate their heart in a way that they could not hold back. And Father, I pray for those of us in the room that have been following you for a long time. I pray we may never, ever, ever tire of your love or loving others. Father, I pray that your spirit would strengthen us daily to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.